get the greenery going. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Power Hour. It is so great to have you with us. And this morning is no exception. We have a, another repeat special guest. And it's probably somebody that you know well here on LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn or over on Facebook. But it's none, of, none other than the amazing sales trainer, Marcus Chan. So we are super excited to dive in again to some of his incredible sales strategies and have you with us along the way. So if you're just joining us for the first time, let us know where you're tuning in from. We would love to know whether you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, or over on YouTube. And uh, what part of the country are you joining us from? We would love to know it. Here in the Pacific Northwest, it's getting a little rainy. So if you can commiserate with me on that, I would love it. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, if you if you don't know me yet, I'm Claire Davis. I run Traction Resume, and I help sales leaders get better jobs and make more money with great resumes and interview prep. So I would love to introduce or have my co-host introduce themselves, and then let's jump right in. So Dan, how's it going for you over there? Oh, it's going well. I hope I'm not getting sick again, but uh, mm. that's just life. Hey, I get to I get to work from home anyway, right? So I'll be okay. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Easy baby. Um, what's up, everyone? Uh, if you don't know me, Dan Mod, uh, I help you build your business on LinkedIn through coaching courses and other free resources. I'm super excited to have Marcus on. Uh, last time he was on, we were on Clubhouse. I was just hanging out in the comments. And like we were like coming right up on on the end, and like literally, this was the question that I asked you about. So then, uh, when Claire told us you were coming back on today, I was like, I'm not gonna lie, I totally tried to influence what the topic of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> Perfect. Up, Matt? Hey Dan, okay. thank you. Um, my name is Matt Zahn. I show people how to persuade with power through the art of strategic storytelling. I do it through workshops and one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I am very excited to hear from Marcus again. Like Dan and Claire had mentioned, he had been on Clubhouse and we had talked about sales. Marcus, I took probably four or five notes last time. You completely changed my perspective on sales. Uh, believe it or not, before hearing you, I invested zero dollars into advertising, marketing. I was doing a lot of organic reach, which was working. It was going okay. But after your talk, it went from okay to great, just investing dollars, learning a little bit about your systems, your formulas. So it was invaluable to me. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Awesome. Well, hey, Matt, I love hearing that, right? Um, I, and first off, you know, Matt, Dan, Claire, I'm excited to be here. Um, it's my absolute pleasure. I, we, we had so much fun on Clubhouse, and now the, the new hotness, if you will. Now we're ba we're back online, but uh, I'm really pumped to dive in today about you know sales, discovery process, and closing more. So I'm Marcus Chen. For those who don't know, founder of Bentley Consulting Group, creator of Six Figure Sales Academy, and I help B2B sales professionals earn an additional fifty to hundred thousand dollars more in commissions this year through our program. So excited to be here. That's so awesome, Marcus. Thank you so much. And I know your strategies are totally on fire. And I love seeing that, you know, you do celebrate the people in your group and you celebrate the wins that they have and they keep coming, which is why I love to follow your sales strategy. And I think what really drew, because, you know, I love talking about sales. I love working with sales leaders. But one thing that specifically drew me to you and I love your sales process is that you put together frameworks that anybody can use. Anybody can be great at sales. And I think, you know, a lot of people get really intimidated by just the art of selling in itself. So, you know, when you're putting together those frameworks, you know, where do you see people really struggling? And then how does it look once they start getting this together? 
Yeah, and I see a lot of people, and this could be whether it's salespeople, or entrepreneurs, or coaches, or other people who are looking to sell something, their service or the product or they're offering. A lot of times, they don't necessarily have a system to follow, a process, and they're not methodical about how they actually run the sales call. So it ends up happening on the call, and what I find is we naturally as human beings have certain types of people we kind of gravitate towards, and we're more comfortable talking to. So for example, most of the time, if if someone's really nice and pleasant, we're like, oh, cool, we, we know how to have this conversation because they're nice to us. And we kind of mm -hmm. go through, we feel like we, we connect with them, and then we may or may not close them. And then when it gets to someone who maybe is more, let's call it uh, more tough, more standoffish, suddenly, you forget everything that you, you you know about sales, and now you go into like a pitch mode, trying to pitch this person, mm. and you still yeah. don't close regardless. And ultimately, when you don't have a system or framework to to fall upon, you default to your instincts. And if you, unless you're a trained sales professional, a lot of times your sales instincts aren't properly developed. And I think about it, it's just no it's no different than being a professional athlete. You know, when you think about an athlete. They spend 99% of their time mastering frameworks and skills in practice, off the field. And that 1% time is actually on the field. So when they're on the field, those instincts are so well honed. When someone throws them a ball, they know what to do. They're not thinking what's happening. They're not thinking about the circumstances. They're like, I have the ball. I know exactly which play I'm going to run next because they're so well ingrained because of the frameworks they have. And from a sales perspective, when you are able to have core frameworks, you can follow a skeleton, if you will, then you become the muscle. You become the additional part that really takes it to the next level, and that allows you to have a repeatable a result as a result of that. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed sale every single time, but what happens is you can actually increase your win rate, your closing ratio, by doing the same things consistently at a very, very high level. That's so great. And you know what? That knee-jerk reaction that you almost have because you've practiced it so much, do you feel like it helps your clients and you know people you're, you're working with to be lighter on their feet in that conversation? Because a lot of folks will come to me and say, okay, Claire, I've got, for example, I'm in the careers world, right? So, okay, we're having this type of sales conversation as an interview. Now I know the new framework to use, but then they come back to me with answers. Now I have to think of my feet and actually process and move forward. So um, how do you see that playing out when somebody starts really implementing this? Yeah, one of the most beautiful parts about whether it's, it's interviewing or sales process, there's always very similar outcomes are gonna happen. You can have very similar responses, very similar, like for example, from an interviewing perspective, if you go on say 10 interviews, and maybe it's to say for example, in your past career, you had maybe changed careers, changed roles every 12 to 18 months, and you're getting this objection in the interview. It's popping up multiple times. So if you now know if that's the most common objection you have, what could you do on the front end as part of your framework to reverse engineer and engineer out that objection to make it no longer concern for that prospect or the hiring manager? And when you think about this, when you have a core framework down, you will see you will get the same consistent objections. And as you refine how you're going to respond, you can start working backwards and say, okay, you know what, what can I improve on part of my process? to increase my chances of a winner at the end. Or you get to the point where suddenly when they th throw that objection or that concern, you've now seen it a thousand times and you now know exactly what to do because you've also practiced when they give you this objection, here's how I'm gonna handle it. And the truth, the truth is there's not like dozens of objections. There's usually like maybe five or less for every industry and they're all pretty much mm -hmm. the same ones. 
So ultimately, if you know how to overcome those, it's going to increase your win rate. And if you are really hyper strategic, you can engineer your sales process to overcome them to lead to a virtually objectionless close at the very end. Hmm. I love that. It's a contingency plan for every scenario that could possibly come up, right? And then I think that that comes from extensively knowing your market and, and what their objections to you are going to be or how they're going to respond to the conversation you're having with them. So, so for someone who, who might just be getting started with this, right, they're like, well, crap, like, what are those objections that, that I, you know, that I would hear from my prospects or, you know, like, how, what, what kind of work can someone do to get themselves set up to, to, to know, like, here are the objections I can expect and here's how I should re best respond to them? Yeah. So I think that what's first good to understand is, like, every single sale requires, there's really seven core beliefs that a person must believe in to want to do business with you. Those are the kind of the core seven. If you can overcome these core seven across the board for any sales process, your chances of closing are going to go dramatically much higher. And then you'll have some probably specific industry ones are specific to your your industry for objection. So let's cover the first, first the core seven, and then from there we can just discuss how to actually overcome those specific ones to your industry. For example, the one I just gave was very specific to Claire. <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to get that on a sales call outside of you know your your hiring. So um, so for example. If you can uncover these seven core beliefs by a time before you present a single thing, but you've uncovered these seven things and they believe it to 100%, your chance of closing are incredibly high. So the first one, if picture, here's how I picture it. Number one, picture where are they, okay? And where okay. do they want to go? Current state, desired state. Where are they currently mm -hmm. at? Where's the desired state, okay? And inside here are going to the seven beliefs. So let me back up. Here, here are the seven beliefs. So first off, pain they must believe they have pain there must be some sort of pain or problem or issue that they have mm -hmm. they must believe it if they do not believe it then they're less likely to take action okay because mm -hmm. reality is human beings take make decisions based off pain or pleasure either it brings me more pleasure or decreases my pain but most people mm -hmm. are driven towards reducing pain versus pleasure so for example you could say, I'm going to work out really hard so I can get that, you know, 7% body fat, 8% body fat, so I can get that six-pack and look super ripped. Yeah, it's a good goal. Or is it more painful to look in the mirror and be like, I don't look good? It's more painful to look in the mirror and be like, I don't look good. So that pain yeah. causes us to take action sure. more than it's actually striving towards a goal. Marcus, it's more painful than not fit in your pants and you need to fit in your pants in a couple of weeks because you have to present. Correct. <laughs> yeah, you're like, crap, these sweat, these like, I've been wearing sweatpants for like a, a year now. I've been like slacks now. Ooh, this is tighter than the, on the thigh than I expected, right? That's painful now. That's pain now, right? So, so number one, you have to have pain, okay? Number two, they must believe there's a cost of inaction, a COI. So they do not take action. There's a cost to them. This could be a direct cost or indirect cost. So for example, if they do not invest with you, Dan, to buy your program to work with you on LinkedIn, they will not be able to grow the business they're looking to do. And if their goal is to generate, it's called half a million dollars off of LinkedIn for the year, it's gonna, that's now their opportunity cost is half a million dollars. Mm. So that cost of inaction, which is usually tied to opportunity cost or regret or direct cost, needs to be so full, firmly entrenched into their belief system now that they want to take action because of that, okay? Then number three, 
they must also have desires too. So you can't just have the pain, mm -hmm. you need the pleasure as well. So what do they desire? Where, where's that desired end state they want to be at? Very important. Number four, do they believe they have doubt? Meaning, do they doubt that they can do it? Do they doubt that what they're currently doing does not work? That's mm -hmm. very important. Because if, if they don't doubt it, they don't doubt whether it's a current vendor or themselves doing it, then they're not going to take action. Because they'll be like, well, you know, I'll just keep doing what I do. I think I'll probably figure it out. Right? Yeah. Well, that's not enough right there. So that you have to have some sort of doubt, right? Then number five, they must believe they have access to resources. All right? So it doesn't necessarily mean they have to have budget, but they must believe they have access to resources. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. money is a false objection because the mm -hmm. truth is if they want it bad enough, they will find a way to get the funds to make it happen. And I'll give you mm -hmm. an example. One of my, one of my top students, Preston, uh, he's a – He's in college. He's in co he's in college. He, he finished up his, la his last year in school. He's in college. He wanted to join my program. Couldn't afford to join my program, right? It's an investment to give to my program. However, he started his B2B sales rule, 100% commission. He wanted to excel in the role. So we discussed it. He's had literally, he had no credit cards, like no real cash on hand, not really anything. So he went and he cashed out a bunch of stock to join my program, right? Oh, wow. He took the 10% interest that he was gaining on there. <laughs> cash it out, join my program in 32 days, made $90,000 commission. Wow. wow. So awesome. suddenly it's because he understands like it's, it's, it, and I share that with you because he believes that he can get the resources. So mm -hmm. even though he may not physically have at this point, he knew he can get the funds, right? So they mm -hmm. must believe they can get the funds. If they don't believe it, then they're not going to do it. But the, the truth is, if somebody wants to, wants to do something, they'll find a way to make it happen. This is why people spend money all the time on like Instagram ads that pop up for the shirt, the coffee, the whatever, the things that pop up, right? When you mm -hmm. look at someone's credit card bill, you'll tell you know exactly what their their focus and priority is on, right? So that's how you, it's very key to understand. They must believe they have resources. The number six, they must believe they can pull the trigger or can heavily influence the decision making in the process. Right. This is, mm -hmm. this is absolutely vital. They must believe they can do it. And then number seven, they must believe they have trust. Trust in not just the solution, but also in the company and you that it's going to fulfill what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And when you have these seven beliefs of the pain, the cost, the desire, the doubt, the resources, decision making power and trust, now your chances of closing are much higher. And that's going to eliminate mm -hmm. many of the other objections that they may have with uncertainty or anything else. And then when it gets to that point, then you're going to have probably some other specific potential industry ones that you have to, you want to uncover. All right. So my posture, like that was a lot I threw. Does that make sense so far, Dan? Team, good? Yes, absolutely. It, it, absolutely. it makes sense. Marcus, could I jump in and ask a, a question? Please. All right. Sure, absolutely. So, all right, so just to give you a little bit of background again on, on, on what I do, because I'm, I'm seeing one of them stick out to me. So I work with medium-sized companies and also large nonprofits, teaching them story strategies. So basically how they could utilize strategic storytelling to boost profits in the business world and then in the nonprofit world, boost fundraising. I believe every discovery call I have, six of the seven are pretty much taken care of with the exception of the mm -hmm. second one. So cost of inaction. Mm -hmm. So the cost yep. of inaction that I see is if they don't bring me in for a workshop, they're not going to hit the sales that they could hit. 
if they don't bring me in for a workshop from the nonprofit side, they're not going to hit the fundraising that they could hit. Now, correct. how would you, and that's, that's very general, right? Like I could look at what they mm-hmm. did in the past and say, I fully believe based on my experience, you should hit X, Y, and C. But my question to you, Marcus, would be how specific should one be within that second point of cost of inaction? Yeah, the more specific, the better. So, and, and, and it also depends on the prospect as well, because uh, you know you need to get the bought in emotionally, but also bought in logically as well. So, it's understanding like the cost of inaction. So, let's just say, for example, you know, like if they have a um, maybe they're averaging. I'm, I'm making a number up. They're averaging a million dollars raised per year for the nonprofit. I'm just making a number up, and the okay. goal is to get to two million. So you now, you know, current state a million. Desired state, $2 million. The cost of inaction by not taking action is now the delta, $1 million, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very, very simple answer right there, but that's how you start diving in deep so they understand, oh, if I don't take action, I'm not going to be able to hit that million-dollar goal. Now, more importantly, that's a cost of inaction from a peer numbers perspective, but what's that really mean to that person you're talking to, that executive director, that general manager, the, the, the ex-title president of that organization? What's that actually mean for them? So, for example, if they don't hit it, if they don't have an action, is not just not able to hit that that, that million dollar opportunity or million dollar gain in in nonprofit or uh, in donation dollars. Now it's also potentially a loss of losing their job. All right, no longer be able to support their family, or you use the Wi-Fi system in the nonprofit world to be able to make the impact of what they're doing. So what are the nonprofits targeting after? Maybe it's maybe it's you know it's it's specific fundraising towards children's cancer, specific type of cancer. Now they're not able to truly have the impact to do what they want to do. So that's why I'm a firm believer when we're able able to effectively sell our our service and our offering like yours, Matt, we truly do impact the world because if they don't hit that number, it's not just not, it's not just about missing a million dollars in donation dollars. It's now about the impact on that person and everyone else who's tied to the outcomes and results of the impact, the ripple effect. So sure. the deeper you can go, the more the more deep root it's going to be. So it's not just saying, "Hey, where do you, where do you want to go? I want to get to I want to get to two million. It's understanding what does that mean for you? What's the impact? How that positively help you? What would happen if you didn't do that? What would happen if a year from today you still only hit a million dollars? How would you feel? Mm. So when you start uncovering these things, they start like, like, "Yeah, you're right. That would be terrible. That would not be good at all." Because this will be impact A, impact B, impact C, impact D. And when you can really uncover that, now they really understand. It's not just about you coming in and selling them something. It's about you have a solution to solve the problem that they have to achieve the desired result they're truly looking for. Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, absolutely. That's a really good point. One of the things that I started doing was talking about seats. So recently I was talking to a lady. She wants to bring me in in a couple months. And she said, well, I at least want 100 people in the room. I said, well, if you take the fee that I just mentioned to you and you divvy it up between 100, if one of those people do what we say, you're going to make your money back like that. Just if one do that. Right. So the cost of inaction back to what you're talking about is significant. It could be a hundredfold based on that inaction. So I really like what you're saying, because I know there's other people listening that, excuse me, that have that objection 
where people don't see the inaction. I like how you're getting us to get them in a place to visualize, hey, if this didn't happen, would you, how would you feel? Would, how would you feel if you only hit a million and you didn't hit your goal? Well, that could bring up a lot of anxiety not hitting that goal that Correct. they set out to hit. So I really like those visualization Correct. techniques. Correct. And what's really powerful here is, if you notice here, and you, you, you're spot on, I didn't tell that person that, that, that fake situation. I asked them. Sure. So that way they're coming to their mm -hmm. own conclusion of what would happen if they didn't get rid of existing pain and didn't work towards desired result. And that's really key. The better you are asking questions, the better you are at selling. That's mm -hmm. the truth. Like even with a discovery call, if you want to close more, you spend 89% of that call asking questions and just diving in deep. And really, if you do a really good job, by the time you get done even asking the questions, even if you haven't presented a single thing, they should be so sold on you, they're ready to throw money at you because you have truly understood exactly where they stand, what's on their mind, and all those seven beliefs are deeply entrenched as well. Huh. Yeah, I, I think that's incredibly powerful, right? Like, because if, if someone does give you the objection of money, then you kind of know, like, that's an indicator to you that like, hey, okay, I haven't done a good enough job of appealing to their emotions. I haven't done a good enough job of, of asking good questions that reveal that. And, and I always say this to people, too, that if you... Right. Like if you if you run out of questions to ask, if you're not asking the right questions and you are going exactly like you said, right, you're just going to default to pitching your services. You're just going to say like, hey, do you want to buy my stuff? Like in some sense or the other. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really important to know which questions to ask and, and have them walk through it, because on, on the on the in, a, in a, like in addition to that, if you try and make those assumptions about what their problems are, you're like you have a it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But if you ask the right questions, they're going to reveal to you what the problems are. And then you can use that for your next conversation and your next conversation and next conversation. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I, I have a question ways. about. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and one of the easiest ways to kind of uh, prepare yourself for this, right? Um, and it's kind of answered what Dan's question was earlier is how do you uncover some of those objections? Mm. You know, if you're, if you're running your calls on Zoom or if you're using a software, just listen to the call recordings and mm -hmm. listen for the questions they're asking and the objections they're having. And what are the most common things they're having? Because those are the ones that, that tells you in your process you gotta do probably a better job on to eliminate up front. So that way it's not mm -hmm. objection on the back end. So, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, no, no that, that's a really good point. And you, and you have, you, you started to answer what I was gonna say. So I, I, I have a question about questions. So one of the things that I get asked in my workshops, because one of the pieces is regarding questions is they say, well, how do you get better at questions? And the way I got better at questions, and this may sound silly, but I found really, really good interviewers from a podcast perspective. And I started listening to this podcast, a podcast host, they're really good at, at asking questions. And then I went and I, I sought out all these different reporters that I feel, hey, these individuals are really good at asking these questions. And that's kind of how I learned. But if someone were to ask you, Marcus, well, how do you how do you get really good at understanding the dynamics of asking questions? Where would you point them to? Yeah, great question right there. So for sure, I love exactly your tip right there. I love frameworks. I love, I love simple things that are very much repeatable because a lot of times we struggle to ask questions because we're trying to, like, especially early on, we're trying to figure out what's that specific question I can ask that's going to make them buy from me. Well, that's not mm -hmm. really the right way to think about this. If you think about this, 
you think about what are the best clarifying questions? A lot of times, after they say something or state something, you can either repeat back or you could just say something else or ask a question. I prefer to ask a question. And if you think about if you think about from an email conversation perspective, that means then instead of in when you think about it, it should be very organic. A conversation shouldn't be like I have a list of thirteen questions that are all over the place, and they're, I'm just like hammering them like an interview, and it's like confusing. It's like an interrogation. That's awkward. Doesn't work. It's really about you know understand that person and where they stand, and really seeking understand through clarifying questions. So, for example, you know a couple of easy frameworks people can literally immediately use right after this live. So if they they state something. They say, "Hey, my goal." is to go from a million fundraising to two million. Cool. Here's a very easy framework. Tell me a little more about that. That's it. Tell me a little bit more. Just stop. Yeah. Can hmm. you elaborate a little bit more? How will that help you? So you start thinking some of these questions, like they're, they're, tell, they're like, tell me a little more. Can you elaborate? Mm -hmm. How? Why questions? And these go across the board. We started thinking this way. It's like they can be very, very powerful because whatever they say, it tells you more. Because a lot of times people aren't going to go into mm -hmm. some long, like ten minute explanation. They might even tell you a little bit, and then if you don't, if they, if they really trust you, they'll tell you more. But then you just that—that's great. Tell me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. How how will that uh, help you? Hmm. I love that because when you ask specific questions, you're 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 guiding the conversation in a, in a certain way, right? Correct. But when you ask very open-ended questions like that, it puts the onus on them to tell you what's on their mind, what they're thinking, how they're feeling. And like they, you know, like you keep asking those questions and they keep just divulging more and more until the point where they're just like, I, I don't really know what else. And they're just like, what they kind of start stumbling around, the words that come out, like those are the real pain points. Those are the things that are deep down inside that they might even re not realize that's impacting them, that's causing the challenge in the first place. Yeah. That's exactly That's right. Good. And when you understand these type of frameworks, you can add other stuff around that, right? You can add a little more empathy, et cetera. Oh, hey, I'm so glad you shared that. You know, how will that help you once you hit that that objective? Hmm. And then of course, That's you, so you, great. You, you can incorporate the personalization to make it much more custom to that situation, right? But again, it's understand just like I mentioned from a sports perspective, you have the framework that's a skeleton and you you fill yourself around it so it's much more conversational. And ultimately it's it's sitting there and it's seeking to understand and to listen versus, you know, waiting to just respond. Your goal is to mm -hmm. truly understand what they're asking and be 100% present in the moment of that question so then you know what to do next. And in reality is most time people, when people are struggling to ask, figure out what question to ask next, they're not being present because they're like thinking like, okay, once I get done talking, I'm going to ask this. But yeah. the but you're not being present at that point. You actually <laughs> yeah. lose sight of what they actually even mentioned just like two seconds ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You just missed the thing that you needed to to close the sale. <laughs> yes. Right. Totally. 100%. It can be 100%. so simple. Um, Josh um, put out this great hashtag, default to curiosity. It's so true. Um, it, you know, mm -hmm. it can be that simple. And if we take that time to listen, people will generally tell us what they need us to present next. And one thing that you didn't say, but you do so naturally, Marcus, even when you were just asking those questions, those example questions was immediately you went quiet. And right. that is a total skill, the mm -hmm. silence to let, to, to create the space for the other person to bring forward more information. Sometimes just being quiet elicits the response. 
without even having to ask a question. Yeah. Which you nailed it. Helps me. Absolutely right. It's getting comfortable (laughs) with the uncomfortable, right? It's being able to enjoy the pause. So for example, like especially in sales or in a closing interview, when you go for that close and you drop the price point, you're like, Hey, it's, it's $50,000. Just stop. Let the silence fill the room, fill the zoom and let them digest it and process it. And sometimes people will just start saying things mm-hmm. and that's okay. But sometimes they're, there's processing. They might say something like, Oh, that's more than I expected. Yeah. Just wait. Let them digest yeah. it. Yeah. Because they're still mentally processing that amount. Because I've seen it so many times where they say, oh, what's well, more than I expected. But if I don't take action, this is what's going to yeah. happen. <laughs> so right. I right. could probably move the funds from this account to do this, move this budget yeah. to do this. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you just need to give them that space to process yeah. and digest. And that's the power of silence and being very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And if you think about even the whole process across the board, you have to get very comfortable with the uncomfortable. Asking questions, pausing, digesting, not pitching, allowing silence to fill the call, leveraging that to seek to understand. All those things are actually very uncomfortable, but the more comfortable you get with the uncomfortable, the more you'll actually be able to sell and ultimately serve your future clients and customers. Sure. That's a really good point. Hey, so two things. One of the things that Claire had brought up that got me thinking. So last year I did a workshop for an organization. It was a it was a bunch of sales reps, and I was able to take part in some of their sales calls. And Marcus, you'll you'll love this. What was interesting to me is where they were messing up is they were trying to sell their client on A, B, and C because that's what they cared about. But their client was actually sold on D. And what was happening was they kept talking about A, B, and C, A, B, and C, and all these different things that they had cared about, but they were sold at D and they didn't focus on that D part. They didn't focus on the part that their client actually cared about. And once they were sold, they continued to try to beat into them, the A, B, and C, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, you have to stop. You have to listen. And they've already, they're already sold on it. Don't keep trying to resell them on something that they're not interested in. So I love based on what Claire had said and Marcus, what you had done is just taking the time to pause and listen to really figure out what they want. So that's the first that I wanted to mention. Then the second part is Marcus asking great questions saves us time and frustration in the future. So last week I was on a discovery call with, with an individual and this person was starting to get a little bit combative. And I, I literally, all I said was, if this interests you, awesome. If it doesn't interest you, awesome. And they had paused and they said, well, what do you mean if it doesn't interest me, awesome? And I said, listen, I'm literally booked. 80% of my 2022 is booked, 80%. So I'm only working on 20%. I said, if you don't want my service, I don't care. This is about you. It's not about me. I literally don't care. And I said, that's why I said, if you don't, if you're not interested, awesome. And I did it because I realized this person, the, the, the questions they were asking me back and the way the conversation was going, I'm thinking, 
like this person's going to be a nightmare in the future. Even if they agree to be oh, a yeah. client, trying to get payment from them, trying to go back and forth, trying to convince them to do something they don't want to do. I don't want to do that. It's going to, it's going to cause more headaches and stress in my life. So I, I like saying like, if you don't want this awesome, I'm not in the begging business, right? Like I'm, I'm literally only working on 20% of my calendar being booked for next year. That's what I need to do to completely book out for, for next year. So I'm not going to beg you to do something you don't want to do, especially with a bunch of other people that see this as a, as an awesome opportunity. So just to go back to your point, Marcus, about questions, if you're filtering people out, you're saving yourself from nightmare and headaches in the future. That's okay. You don't want to work with people that are going to be, it's going to be like pulling teeth. So asking good questions is going to help us <laughs> from, from future heartache in, in the future for sure. Yeah. I think that's, oh, yeah, yeah that, you know, that's so important too. And you want to right? like you design your business and your service for a, a very particular person. That's why we do all of this, this persona work and under trying to understand our target market. And if someone's not a good fit for that, then that's, that's not a problem, right? Like you want to, we always say qualify people, but I always try to look at it as like, I, I want to disqualify people as soon as sure. possible that's right. because yeah. I want to, I, I want to I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste their time. If I don't think that you're going to be a good fit, if I don't think I can actually help you, then there's no reason mm -hmm. that we should work together. So let's try and find that out right off the bat. That's right. Sure. That's absolutely right. And you know, I think what's important to understand as well is, um, you know, as, as I was questioning yesterday on, on one of our calls and they're like, the question was, Hey, how do I discern someone's intent to buy? And what's important to understand here is even from a qualification disqualification perspective is understanding what are you disqualifying them for? And sometimes mistakes some people make too because in the sales call process, once you're actually in there in the call, you can, you actually have data. You have what they're saying, the, the responses to questions to disqualify. If they're too far out of the sales funnel, if they're completely unaware of your offering and you try to disqualify them too early, it actually makes mm -hmm. zero sense because you actually don't have enough data. So understanding mm -hmm. where they are in the customer journey or prospect journey is absolutely vital to know when to actually properly disqualify. Otherwise, you might just disqualify people who actually would be really great prospects. They're just maybe the timing wasn't right or your messaging wasn't spot on and didn't connect with them and they weren't quite down in the funnel quite deep enough to actually be able to have a productive conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think too, right? Like those people that you identify who are like still in the beginning process, right? Like they are not someone that you can, you can like even help today, but you might have a resource that gets them to the place where now they could actually like be able to use your support. So mm -hmm. knowing that there is a separate call to action and, and track that you can put them through that helps advance them to get to them to a point where you can continue to help them. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. Marcus, every time we talk with you, we're always like, oh, we need two more hours. It happens. Thank you so much. Um, you know, one thing we love to ask everybody who joins us here is if you could encourage people who are listening here today, anybody in the audience to do one thing today to get them to move a little bit forward in their closing uh, what would you have them do? What would your homework be? Yeah. Essentially. Awesome. So this very, very simple thing. Now, if you are, if you're doing the calls on zoom, uh, if they're being recorded, I would go back and just listen to it. It might be painful, even at 1.5 or two times the speed and listen to how you're asking questions and what common objections are. 
so you can start working towards improving the questions you ask on the front end to lead to a better close at the very end. And it's not necessarily on the first call, but at least that at least moves the deal forward. And if you if you don't have recorded calls, I would recommend your action will be, hey, I'm going to go and start recording moving forward. So this way I could start improving my process because once you get clarity in your process, that's how you truly start improving how you actually ask questions, how you improve how you serve your clients and future customers as well. So Marcus, I love how in the beginning you made the analogy to sports, right? Like having the frameworks, doing the drills to get yourself in a place to it. So when you're in the game, you're actually playing, like you don't have to overthink it. You can just go back to the, 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 like the repetitious spirit here. And it's, it's the same thing, right? Like anyone in pro sports, they, they call it game tape, right? They, they watch the game afterwards right. to see it. what they did well, what they did and, and how they can improve on that. So it's, it's just like the perfect analogy. Absolutely. It might be pleasantly horrifying, but it's well worth it. <laughs> you, you will cringe. It, 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 <laughs> you will cringe. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you right now, I still listen to my own recordings to this day because yeah. I'm always looking to improve. Maybe it's my tonality, how I explain something, how I answer a certain question, how I overcame something specifically. Because ultimately, the, when we think we can't ever improve ever, you know, Again, that's actually when we start going downhill. So, you know, put mm -hmm. any ego side you might have, regardless of your experience, <clears throat> listen to recall recordings and you'll see areas you can still improve regardless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a quick question too, because some people might, I, I, I've talked to people and they get anxious about asking people to record a sales call. Do you have any quick tips mm -hmm. just around like how to bridge that conversation? Totally. So the nice thing is if you do it via Zoom, it pops up automatically for you, right? Now, you can also just, I just recommend do it at the very beginning. So, and it, make it very, very simple. It, it sounds simple like, hey, damn, hey, before we dive into this, I just want to give you a quick heads up. Uh, this call actually going to record for training purposes. I want to make sure, are you comfortable with that? Mm. That's it. Okay. Easy. Soft, trust-based language. Notice my tonality is easy. I'm not making like, I'm going to record for training purposes. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being <laughs> awkward here. Just very simple. <laughs> let it flow. See what they say. And if they're not comfortable, it's okay. Just, just don't record it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you right now, like, I still do it. And 100% of the time, it's been okay. Right? Yeah. I was now, just going to have you anyone who said, no, you can't record me. No, the only time we've had someone, it, it got to the point where like we're like at the very end of the call, and maybe they want to share something really personal, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Hey, is it okay mm -hmm. if we?" I'm like, "100 percent." We got we got the course. If I need to make sure we cover, we're good. So I'll, I'll yeah, turn off exactly. the recording there. So as long as you honor them and just follow through with that, it's really important. And I would say on top of that, just be really aware of which country you're in and what's going to be legally okay. So some countries mm -hmm. you're not allowed to record it at all. So you just got to be aware of that. So. Check with your local legislation. I'm not going to know for everywhere, but at least in the U.S., you got to team up, let them know. So this way, I'm good. Awesome. Interesting. Awesome. Such great actionable tips, Marcus. Thank you so much for your time today. I know I have another two pages of notes. I was trying to quietly click clack on my keyboard <laughs> over here. Um, but you guys, if you're not yet following Marcus Chan, which I, I hope that most of you are right now, I see Gabe is a huge fan of your background right now. So he's popping in here to join us too. Um, but awesome. you guys, thank you so much for joining us in Power Hour. Marcus, thank you for dropping incredible wisdom and insights and actionable stuff we can put into place today with us. And uh, you guys, you can find Marcus over at venleyconsulting.com. He's all over LinkedIn and Facebook, too, in his awesome six-figure sales group. So don't miss it. And next week, we have another awesome Power Hour. Michelle Griffin is going to join us again. 
It's kind of like we're having a little bit of an alumni thing here from Clubhouse to live. We're doing a reunion kind of style. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's uh, so so. Join us again. We're going to have her here live and uh, and take all those insights. Uh, on branding too. So thank you so much, guys. Thanks for your time. And everybody, we know time is our greatest commodity. So the fact that you chose to spend it with us today is really incredible. So thank you all so much. And with that, thanks so we'll much. say goodbye. Thanks, <laughs> thanks everyone. everyone. Have a great day. I'm a waver. I know. I'm a waver. <laughs> I do it on every call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>